Part two, chapter twenty of the Daisy Chain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Daisy Chain by Charlotte Mary Young. We barter life for pottage, sell true bliss for wealth or power, for pleasure or renown. Thus, Esau like, our father's blessing miss, then wash with fruitless tears our faded crown. Christian Year Papa, here's a message from Flora for you, said Margaret, holding up a letter. She wants to know whom to consult about the baby. Ha! Huh, what's the matter? Margaret read, Will you ask Papa whom I had better call in to see the baby? There does not seem to be anything positively amiss, but I am not happy about her. There is a sleepiness about her which I do not understand, and, when roused, she is fretful and will not be amused. There is a look in her eyes which I do not like, and I should wish to have some advice for her. Lady Leonora recommends Mr. But I always distrust people who are very much the rage, and I shall send for no one without Papa's advice. Let me see, said Dr. May, startled, and holding out his hand for the letter. A look about the eyes. I shall go up and see her myself. Why has she not brought her home? It would have been far better, said Margaret. Sleepy and dull. She was as lively a child when they took her away as I ever saw. What? Is there no more about her? The letter is crammed with somebody's fit. Vote of want of confidence. Debate last night. What is she about? She fancies she knows everything, and, the fact is, she knows no more about infants I could see that, when the poor little thing was a day old. Do you think there is a cause for fear? said Margaret anxiously. I can't tell. With the first child, one can't guess what may be Mamma's fancy, or what may be serious. But Flora is not too fanciful, and I must see her for my own satisfaction. Let someone write, and say I will come up tomorrow by the twelve o'clock train. And mind she opens the letter." Dr. May kept his word, and the letter had evidently not been neglected, for George was watching for him at the station, and thanked him so eagerly for coming, that Dr. May feared that he was indeed needed, and inquired anxiously. Flora is uneasy about her. She seems heavy, and cries when she is disturbed, replied George. Flora has not left her today, and hardly yesterday. Have you had no advice for her? Flora preferred waiting till you should come. Dr. May made an impatient movement, and thought the way long till they were set down in Park Lane. Maida came to meet them on the stairs, and said that the baby was just the same, and Flora was in the nursery, and thither they hastily ascended. "'Oh, Papa, I am so glad you're come,' said Flora, starting up from her low seat beside the cradle. Dr. May hardly paused to embrace his daughter, and she anxiously led him to the cradle, and tried to read his expression— as his eyes fell on the little face, somewhat puffed, but of a waxy whiteness, and the breathing seeming to come from the lips. "'How long has she been so?' he asked, in a rapid, professional manner. "'For about two or three hours. She was very fretful before, but I did not like to call in anyone, as you were coming.' "'Is it from her teeth?' said Flora, more and more alarmed by his manner. "'Her complexion is always like that.' She cannot bear to be disturbed, added she, as the child feebly moaned, on Dr. May beginning to take her from her cradle, 
but, without attending to the objection, he lifted her up, so that she lay as quietly as before, on his arm. Flora had trusted that hope and confidence would come with him, but, on the contrary, every lurking misgiving began to rush wildly over her as she watched his countenance while he carried his little granddaughter towards the light, studied her intently, raised her drooping eyelids, and looked into her eyes, scarcely eliciting another moan. Flora dared not ask a question, but looked on with eyes open, as it were, stiffened. This is the effect of opium, were Dr. May's first words, breaking on all with startling suddenness. But, before anyone could speak, he added, we must try some stimulant directly. Then looking round the room, what have you nearest? Godfrey's cordial, sir, quickly suggested the nurse. Ah, anything to save time. She is sinking for want of the drug that has, he broke off to apportion the dose, and to hold the child in a position to administer it. Flora tried to give it. The nurse tried, in vain. Do not torment her further, said the doctor, as Flora would have renewed the trial. It cannot be done. What have you all been doing? cried he, as, looking up, his face changed from the tender compassion with which he had been regarding his little patient into a look of strong indignation, and one of his sentences of hasty condemnation broke from him, as it would not have done, had Flora been less externally calm. I tell you this child has been destroyed with opium. They all recoiled. The father turned fiercely round on the nurse, with a violent exclamation, but Dr. May checked him. Hush! This is no presence for the wrath of man. The solemn tone seemed to make George shrink into an awestruck quiescence. He stood motionless and transfixed, as if indeed conscious of some overwhelming presence. Flora had come near, with an imploring gesture, to take the child in her own arms, but Dr. May, by a look of authority, prevented it. For, indeed, it would have been harassing and distressing the poor little sufferer again to move her as she lay with feeble gasps on his arm. So they remained, for what space no one knew. Not one word was uttered, not a limb moved, and the street noises sounded far off. Dr. May stooped his head closer to the babe's face and seemed listening for a breath as he once more touched the little wrist. He took away his finger, he ceased to listen, he looked up. Flora gave one cry, not loud, not sharp, but an exceeding bitter cry. She would have moved forward, but reeled, and her husband's arm supported her as she sank into a swoon. Carry her to her room, said Dr. May. I will come. And when George had borne her away, he kissed the lifeless cheek and reverently placed the little corpse in the cradle. But, as he rose from doing so, the sobbing nurse exclaimed, "'Oh, sir! Oh, sir! Indeed, I never did!' "'Never did what?' said Dr. May sternly. "'I never gave the dear baby anything to do her harm,' cried Preston vehemently. "'You gave her this,' said Dr. May, pointing to the bottle of Godfrey's cordial. He could say no more, for her master was hurrying back into the room. Anger was the first emotion that possessed him, and he hardly gave an answer to Dr. May's question about Flora. Meta is with her. Where is that woman? Have you given her up to the police? Preston shrieked and sobbed, made incoherent exclamations, and was much disposed to cling to the doctor. Silence, 
said Dr. May, lifting his hand, and assuming a tone and manner that awed them both, by reminding them that death was present in the chamber, and, taking his son-in-law out, and shutting the door, he said, in a low voice, I believe this is no case for the police. Have mercy on the poor woman. Mercy? I'll have no mercy on my child's murderer. You said she had destroyed my child. Ignorantly. I don't care for ignorance. She destroyed her. I'll have justice, said George doggedly. You shall, said Dr. May, laying his hand on his arm, but it must be investigated, and you are in no state to investigate. Go downstairs. Do not do anything till I come to you. His peremptory manner imposed on George, who, nevertheless, turned round as he went, saying, with a fierce glare in his eyes, You will not let her escape. No. Go down. Be quiet. Dr. May returned to Preston and had to assure her that Mr. Rivers was not gone to call the police before he could bring her to any degree of coherence. She regarded him as her only friend and soon undertook to tell the whole truth, and he perceived that it was, indeed, the truth. She had not known that the cordial was injurious, deeming it a panacea against fretfulness, precious to nurses, but against which ladies always had a prejudice, and, therefore, to be kept secret. Poor little Leonora had been very fretful and uneasy when Flora's many avocations had first caused her to be set aside, and Preston had had recourse to the remedy which, lulling her successfully, was applied with less moderation and judgment than would have been shown by a more experienced person, till gradually the poor child became dependent on it for every hour of rest. When her mother, at last, became aware of her unsatisfactory condition, and had spent her time in watching her, the nurse being prevented from continuing her drug, she was, of course, so miserable without it that preston had ventured on proposing it to which mrs rivers had replied with displeasure sufficient to prevent her from declaring how much she had previously given preston was in an agony of distress for her little charge as well as of fear for herself and could hardly understand what her error had been dr may soon saw that though not highly principled her sorrow was sincere and that she still wept bitterly over the consequences of her treatment when he told her that she had nothing to fear from the law and that he would protect her from mr rivers her confession was hardly over when maida knocked at the door pale and frightened oh dr may do come to poor flora i don't know what to do and george is in such a state dr may made a sound of sorrow and perplexity and maida as she went down before him asked in a low, horror-stricken whisper. Did Preston really? Not knowingly, said Dr. May. It is the way many children have gone, but I never thought... They had come to Flora's dressing-room. Her bedroom door was open, and George was pacing heavily up and down the length of both apartments, fiercely indignant. Well, said he, advancing eagerly on Dr. May, has she confessed? But Flora, said Dr. May, instead of answering him, Flora lay on her bed, her face hidden on her pillow, only now and then moaning. "'Flora, my poor, poor child,' said her father, bending down to raise her and taking her hand. She moved away, so as to bury her face more completely, but there was life in the movement, and he was sufficiently reassured on her situation to be able to attend to George, 
who was only impatient to rush off to take his revenge. He led him into the outer room, where Maida was waiting, and forced upon his unwilling conviction that it was no case for the law. The child had not been killed by any one dose, but had rather sunk from the want of stimulus to which she had been accustomed. As to any pity for the woman, George would not hear of it. She was still, in his eyes, the destroyer of his child, and, when he found the law would afford him no vengeance, he insisted that she should be turned out of his house at once. "'George!' called a hollow voice from the next room, and, hurrying back, they saw Flora sitting up, and, as well as trembling limbs aloud, endeavoring to rise to her feet, while burning spots were in her cheeks. "'George, turn me out of the house, too. If Preston killed her, I did.' and she gave a ghastly laugh. George drew his arms round her, and laid her on her bed again, with many fond words, and strength which she had not power to withstand. Dr. May, in the meantime, spoke quickly to Maida in the doorway. She must go. They cannot see her again. But has she any friends in London? I think not. Find out. She must not be sent adrift. Send her to the Grange, if nothing better offers. You must judge. He felt that he could confide in Maida's discretion and promptitude, and return to the parents. Is she gone? said George in a whisper, which he meant should be unheard by his wife, who had sunk her face in her pillows again. Going. Maida is seeing to it. And that woman gets off free? cried George. While well, my poor little girl, and no longer occupied by the hope of retribution, he gave way to an overpowering burst of grief. His wife did not rouse herself to comfort him, but still lay motionless, excepting for a convulsive movement that passed over her frame at each sound from him, and her father felt her pulse bound at the same time with corresponding violence, as if each of his deep-drawn sobs were mortal thrust. Going to him, Dr. May endeavored to repress his agitation and lead him from the room, but he could not, at first, prevail upon him to listen or understand, still less, to quit Flora. The attempt to force on him the perception that his uncontrolled sorrow was injuring her, and that he ought to bear up for her sake, only did further harm. For, when he rose up and tried to caress her, there was the same torpid, passive resistance, the same burying her face from the light, and the only betrayal of consciousness in the agonized throbs of her pulse. He became excessively distressed at being thus repelled, and, at last, yielded to the impatient signals of Dr. May, who drew him into the next room, and, with brief, strong, though most affectionate and pitting words, enforced on him that Flora's brain, nay her life, was risked, and that he must leave her alone to his care for the present. Maida coming back at the same moment, Dr. May put him in her charge, with renewed orders to impress on him how much depended on tranquillity. Dr. May went back, with this soft, undisturbing physician's footfall, and stood at the side of the bed in such intense anxiety as those only can endure who know how to pray, and to pray in resignation and faith. All was still in the darkening twilight, but the distant roar of the world surged without, and a gaslight shone flickering through the branches of the trees, and fell on the rich dress spread on the couch, and the ornaments on the toilet table. 
there was a sense of oppression and of being pursued by the incongruous world and dr may sighed to silence all around and see his poor daughter in the calm of her own country air but she had chosen for herself and here she lay stricken down in the midst of the prosperity she had sought he could hear every respiration tightened and almost sobbing and he was hesitating whether to run the risk of addressing her when as if it had occurred to her suddenly that she was alone and deserted she raised up her head with a startled movement but as she saw him she again hid her face as if his presence were still more intolerable than solitude flora my own my dearest my poor child you should not turn from me do i not carry with me the like self-reproachful conviction flora let him turn her face towards him and kiss her forehead it was burning and he brought water and bathed it now and then speaking a few fond low gentle words which though she did not respond evidently had some soothing effect for she admitted his services still however keeping her eyes closed and her face turned towards the darkest side of the room when he went towards the door she murmured papa as if to detain him i am not going darling i only wanted to speak to george don't let him come said flora not till you wish it my dear george's step was heard his hand was on the lock and again dr may was conscious of the sudden rush of blood through all her veins he quickly went forward met him and shut him out persuading him with difficulty to remain outside and giving him the occupation of sending out for an anodyne since the best hope at present lay in encouraging the torpor that had benumbed her crushed faculties her father would not even venture to rouse her to be undressed he gave her the medicine and let her lie still with as little movement as possible standing by till her regular breathing showed that she had sunk into a sleep when he went into the other room and found that george had also forgotten his sorrows in slumber on the sofa while maida sat sadly presiding over the tea equipage she came up to meet him her question expressed in her looks asleep he said i hope the pulses are quieter all depends on her wakening poor poor flora said maida wiping away her tears what have you done with the woman i sent her to mrs larpence i knew she would receive her and keep her till she could write to her friends bellairs took her but i could hardly speak to her she did it ignorantly said dr may i could never be so merciful and forbearing as you said maida ah my dear you will never have the same cause they could say no more for george awoke and the argument of his exclusion had to be gone through again he could not enter into it by any means and when dr may would have made him understand that poor flora could not acquit herself of neglect and that even his affection was too painful for her in the present state he broke into a vehement angry defence of her devotion to her child treating dr may as if the accusation came from him and when the doctor and maida had persuaded him out of this he next imagined his father-in-law feared that he was going to reproach his wife and there was no making him comprehend more than that if she were not kept quiet she might have a serious illness even then he insisted on going to look at her and dr may could not prevent him from pressing his lips to her forehead she half opened her eyes and murmured 
good night, and by this he was a little comforted, but he would hear of nothing but sitting up, and Maida would have done the same, but for an absolute decree of the doctor. It was a relief to Dr. May that George's vigil soon became a sound repose on the sofa in the dressing-room, and he was left to read and muse uninterruptedly. It was far past two o'clock before there was any movement. Then Flora drew a long breath, stirred, and as her father came and drew her hand into his, before she was well awake, she gave a long, wondering whisper, "'Oh, Papa, Papa!' then sitting up and passing her hand over her eyes. "'Is it all true?' "'It is true, my own poor dear,' said Dr. May, supporting her as she rested against his arm and hid her face on his shoulder while her breath came short and she shivered under the renewed perception. "'She has gone to wait for you.' "'Hush! Oh, don't, Papa,' said Flora, her voice shortened by anguish. "'Oh!' think why nay flora do not do not speak as if that should exclude peace or hope said dr may entreatingly besides it was no wilful neglect you had other duties you don't know me papa said flora drawing her hands away from him and tightly clinching them in one another as thoughts far too terrible for words swept over her if i do not the most merciful father does said dr may Flora sat for a minute or two, her hands locked together round her knees, her head bowed down, her lips compressed. Her father was so far satisfied that the bodily dangers he had dreaded were averted, but the agony of mind was far more terrible, especially in one who expressed so little, and in whom it seemed, as it were, pent up. "'Papa,' said Flora presently, with a resolution of tone as if she would prevent resistance, "'I must see her.' "'You shall, my dear,' said the doctor at once, and she seemed grateful not to be opposed, speaking more gently as she said, "'May it be now, while there is no daylight?' "'If you wish it,' said Dr. May. The dawn and a yellow winding moon gave sufficient light for moving about, and Flora gained her feet, but she was weak and trembling and needed the support of her father's arm, though hardly conscious of receiving it, as she mounted the same stairs, that she had so often lightly ascended in the light doubtful morning light, for never, after any party, had she omitted her visit to the nursery. The door was locked, and she looked piteously at her father as her weak push met the resistance, and he was somewhat slow in turning the key with his left hand. The whitewashed, slightly furnished room reflected the light, and the moonbeams showed the window frame in pale and dim shades on the blinds, the dewy air breathed in coolly from the park, and there was a calm solemnity in the atmosphere. No light, no watcher present to tend the babe. Little Leonora needed such no more. She was with the keeper, who shall neither slumber nor sleep. So it thrilled across her grandfather, as he saw the little cradle drawn into the middle of the room, and, on the coverlet, some pure white rosebuds and lilies of the valley, gathered in the morning by Mary and Blanche, little guessing the use that Maida would make of them ere nightfall. The mother sank on her knees, her hands clasped over her breast, and rocking herself to and fro uneasily, with a low, irrepressible moaning. "'Will you not see her face?' whispered Dr. May. "'I may not touch her,' was the answer, in the hollow voice, 
and with the wild eye that had before alarmed him but trusting to the soothing power of the mute face of the innocent he drew back the covering the sight was such as he anticipated sadly lovely smiling and tranquil all oppression and suffering fled away forever it stilled the sounds of pain and the restless motion the compression of the hands became less tight and he began to hope that the look was passing into her heart he let her kneel on without interruption only once he said of such is the kingdom of heaven she made no immediate answer and he had had time to doubt whether he ought to let her continue in that exhausting attitude any longer when she looked up and said you will all be with her there she has flown on to point your aim more steadfastly said dr may flora shuddered but spoke calmly no i shall not meet her my child he exclaimed do you know what you are saying i know i am not in the way said flora still in the same fearfully quiet matter-of-fact tone i never have been and she bent over her child as if taking her leave for eternity his tongue almost clave to the roof of his mouth as he heard the words words elicited by one of those hours of true reality that like death rend aside every wilful cloak of self-deceit and self-approbation he had no power to speak at first when he recovered it his reply was not what his heart had at first prompted flora how has this dear child been saved he said what has released her from the guilt she inherited through you through me through all is not the fountain open she never wasted grace said flora my child my flora he exclaimed losing the calmness he had gained by such an effort you must not talk thus it is wrong only your own morbid feeling can treat this this as a charge against you and if it were indeed he sank his voice that such consequences destroyed hope oh flora where should i be no said flora this is not what i meant it is that i have never set my heart right i am not like you nor my sisters i have seemed to myself and to you to be trying to do right but it was all hollow for the sake of praise and credit i know it now it is too late and he has let me destroy my child here lest i should have destroyed her everlasting life like my own the most terrible part of the sentence was to dr bay that flora spoke as if she knew it all as a certainty and without apparent emotion with all the calmness of despair what she had never guessed before had come clearly and fully upon her now and without apparent novelty or perhaps there had been misgivings in the midst of her complacent self-satisfaction she did not even seem to perceive how dreadfully she was shocking her father whose sole comfort was in believing her language the effect of exaggerated self-reproach. His profession had rendered him not new to the sight of despondency, and, dismayed as he was, he was able at once to speak to the point. If it were indeed so, her removal would be the greatest blessing. Yes, said her mother, and her assent was in the same tone of resigned despair, owning it best for her child to be spared a worldly education, and loving her truly enough to acquiesce i meant the greatest blessing to you continued dr may 
if it be sent to open your eyes and raise your thoughts upwards. Oh, Flora, are not afflictions tokens of infinite love? She could not accept the encouragement, and only formed, with her lips, the words, Mercy to her, wrath to me. The simplicity and hearty piety which, with all Dr. May's faults, had always been part of his character, and had borne him, in faith and trust, through all his trials, had never belonged to her. Where he had been sincere, erring only from impulsiveness, she had been double-minded and calculating, and, now that her delusion had been broken down, she had nothing to rest upon. Her whole religious life had been mechanical, deceiving herself more than even others, and all seemed now swept away, except the sense of hypocrisy, and of having cut herself off, for ever, from her innocent child. Her father saw that it was vain to argue with her, and only said, "'You will think otherwise by and by, my dear. Now shall I say a prayer before we go down?' As she made no reply, he repeated the Lord's Prayer, but she did not join, and then he added a broken, hesitating intercession for the mourners, which caused her to bury her face deeper in her hands, but her dull wretchedness altered not. Rising, he said authoritatively, Come, Flora, you must go to bed. See, it is morning. You have sat up all night with me, said Flora, with somewhat of her anxious considerate self. So has George. He had just dropped asleep on the sofa when you awoke. I thought he was in anger, said she. Not with you, dearest. No, I remember now. Not where it was justly due. Papa, she said, pausing, as to recall her recollection. What did I do? I must have done something very unkind to make him go away and leave me. I insisted on his leaving you, my dear. You seemed oppressed, and his affectionate ways were doing you harm, so I was hard-hearted and turned him out, sadly against his will. Poor George, said Flora. Has he been left to bear it alone all this time? How much distressed he must have been. I must have vexed him grievously. You don't guess how fond he was of her. I must go to him at once. That is right, my dear. Don't praise me, said she, as if she could not bear it. All that is left for me is to do what I can for him. Dr. May felt cheered. He was sure that hope must again rise out of unselfish love and duty. Their return awoke George, who started, half sitting up, wondering why he was spending the night in so unusual a manner, and why Flora looked so pale in the morning light, with her loosened, drooping hair. She went straight to him, and kneeling by his side, said, "'George, forgive!' the same moment he had caught her to his bosom, but so impressed was his tardy mind with the peril of talking to her, that he held her in his arms without a single word, till Dr. May had unclosed his lips, a sign would not suffice, he must have a sentence to assure him, and then it was such joy to have her restored, and his fondness and solicitude were so tender and eager in their clumsiness that his father-in-law was touched to the heart. Flora was quite herself again, in presence of mind and power of dealing with him, and Dr. May left them to each other, and went to his own room, for such rest as sorrow, sympathy, and the wakening city would permit him. When the house was astir in the morning, and the doctor had met Maida in the breakfast room, and held with her a sad, affectionate conversation, 
George came down with a fair report of his wife and took her father to see her. That night had been like an illness to her, and, though perfectly composed, she was feeble and crushed, keeping the room darkened and reluctant to move or speak. Indeed, she did not seem able to give her attention to anyone's voice, except her husband's. When Dr. May or Maida spoke to her, she would miss what they said, beg their pardon, and ask them to repeat it, and sometimes, even then, become bewildered. They tried reading to her, but she did not seem to listen, and her half-closed eye had the expression of listless dejection that her father knew betokened that, even as last night, her heart refused to accept promises of comfort as meant for her. For George, however, her attention was always ready, and was perpetually claimed. He was forlorn and at a loss without her, every moment, and, in the sorrow which he too felt most acutely, could not have a minute's peace unless soothed by her presence. He was dependent on her to a degree which amazed and almost provoked the doctor, who could not bear to have her continually harassed and disturbed, and yet was much affected by witnessing so much tenderness, especially in Flora, always the cold, utilitarian member of his family. In the middle of the day she rose and dressed, because George was unhappy at having to sit without her, though only in the next room. She sat in the large armchair, turned away from the blinded windows, never speaking nor moving, save when he came to her, to make her look at its letters and notes, when she would, with the greatest patience and sweetness, revise them, suggest word or sentence, rouse herself to consider each petty detail, and then sink back into her attitude of listless dejection. To all besides, she appeared totally indifferent, gently courteous to Maida and to her father when they addressed her, but otherwise showing little consciousness whether they were in the room. And yet, when something was passing about her father staying or returning, she rose from her seat, came up to him before he was aware, and said, Papa, Papa, you will not leave me, in such an imploring tone that if he had ever thought of quitting her, he could not have done so. He longed to see her left to perfect tranquillity, but such could not be in London. Though theirs was called a quiet house, the rushing stream of traffic wearied his country ears, the doorbell seemed ceaselessly ringing, and though Maida bore the brunt of the notes and messages, great numbers necessarily came up to Mr. Rivers, and of these Flora was not spared one. Dr. May had his share, too, of messages and business, and friends and relations, the Rivers' kindred, always ready to take offense with their rich connections, and who would not be satisfied with inquiries at the door, but must see Maida, and would have George fetched down to them, old aunts who wanted the whole story of the child's illness, and came imagining it was something to be hushed up. Lady Leonora extremely polite, but extremely disgusted at the encounter with them, George ready to be persuaded to take everyone up to see his wife, and the prohibition to be made by Dr. May over and over again, it was a most tedious, wearing afternoon, and at last, when the visitors had gone, and George had hurried back to his wife, Dr. May threw himself into an armchair and said, Oh, Maida, sorrow weighs more heavily in town than in the country. Yes, said Maida. If one only could go out and look at the flowers and take poor Flora up a nosegay. I don't think it would make much difference to her, sighed the doctor. "'Yes, I think it would,' said Maida. "'It did to me. 
The sights there speak of the better sights. The power to look must come from within, said Dr. May, thinking of his poor daughter. Aye, said Maida, as Mr. Ernscliff said, heaven is as near, but the skirts of heaven are more easily traced in our mountain view than here, where, if I looked out of window, I should only see that giddy string of carriages and people pursuing each other. Well, we shall get her home as soon as she is able to move, and I hope it may soothe her. What a turmoil it is! There has not been one moment without noise in the twenty-two hours I have been here. What would you say if you were in the city? Ah, there's no talking of it. But if I had been a fashionable London physician, as my father-in-law wanted to make me, I should have been dead long ago. No, I think you would have liked it very much. Why? Love's a flower that will not die, repeated Maida, half-smiling. You would have found so much good to do. And so much misery to rend one's heart, said Dr. May. But, after all, I suppose there is only a certain capacity of feeling. It is within, not without, as you said, returned Maida. Ha, there's another, cried Dr. May, almost petulant at the sound of the bell again, breaking into the conversation that was a great refreshment. It was Sir Henry Walkingham's ring, said Maida. It is always his time of day. The doctor did not like it the better. Sir Henry sent up a message to ask whether he could see Mr. or Miss Rivers. I suppose we must, said Maida, looking at the doctor. Lady Walkingham must be anxious about Flora. She blushed greatly, fancying that Dr. May was putting his own construction on the heightened color which she could not control. Sir Henry came in, just what he ought to be, kindly anxious, but not overwhelming, and with a ready, pleased recognition of the doctor as an old acquaintance of his boyhood. He did not stay many minutes, but there was a perceptible difference between his real sympathy and friendly regard only afraid of obtruding, and the oppressive curiosity of their former visitors. Dr. May felt it due, both from kindness and candor, to say something in his praise when he was gone. "'That is a sensible, superior man,' he said. "'He will be an acquisition when he takes up his abode at Drydale.' "'Yes,' said Maida, "'a very simple yes, for which nothing could be gathered. "'The funeral was fixed for Monday, the next day but one, "'at the church where Mr. Rivers had been buried. "'No one was invited to be present. "'Ethel wrote that, much as she wished it, "'she could not leave Margaret, "'and, as the whole party were to return home on the following day, "'they should soon see Flora. "'Flora had laid aside all privileges of illness after the first day.' She came downstairs to breakfast and dinner, and though looking wretchedly ill, and speaking very low and feebly, she was as much as ever the mistress of her house. Her father could never draw her into conversation again on the subject nearest his heart, and could only draw the sad conclusion that her state of mind was unchanged, from the dreary indifference with which she allowed every word of cheer to pass by unheeded, as if she could not bear to look beyond the grave. He had some hope in the funeral, which he was bent on attending, and more in the influence of Margaret, and the counsel of Richard or Mr. Wilmot. The burial, however, failed to bring any peaceful comfort to the mourning mother. Meta's tears flowed freely, as much for her father as for her little niece, and George's sobs were deep and choking, but Flora, externally, only seemed absorbed in helping him to go through with it. She, herself, 
never lost her fixed, composed, hopeless look. After her return, she went up to the nursery, and deliberately set apart and locked up every possession of her child's, then, coming down, startled Maida by laying her hand on her shoulder and saying, Maida, dear, Preston is in the housekeeper's room. Will you go and speak to her for a moment, to reassure her before I come? Oh, Flora! I sent for her, said Flora, in answer. I thought it would be a good opportunity while George is out. Will you be kind enough to prepare her, my dear? Maida wondered how Flora had known whither to send, but she could not but obey. Poor Preston was an ordinary sort of woman, kind-hearted and not without a conscience, but her error had arisen from the want of any high religious principle to teach her obedience or sincerity. Her grief was extreme, and she had been so completely overcome by the forbearance and consideration shown to her that she was even more broken-hearted by the thought of them than by the terrible calamity she had occasioned. Kind-hearted Mrs. Larpin had tried to console her, as well as to turn the misfortune to the best account, and Dr. May had once seen her, and striven gently to point out the true evil of the course she had pursued. She was now going to her home, and they augured better of her, that she had been as yet too utterly downcast to say one word of that first thought with the servant, her character. Meta found her sobbing uncontrollably at the associations of her master's house, and dreadfully frightened at hearing that she was to see Mrs. Rivers. She began to entreat to the contrary with the vehemence of a person unused to any self-government. But, in the midst, the low, calm tones were heard, and her mistress stood before her, her perfect stillness of demeanor far more effective in repressing agitation than had been Meta's coaxing attempts to soothe. "'You need not be afraid to see me, Preston,' said Flora kindly. "'I am very sorry for you. "'You knew no better, and I should not have left so much to you.' "'Oh, ma'am, so kind. "'The dear, dear little darling. "'I shall never forgive myself.' "'I know you did love her,' continued Flora. "'I am sure you intended no harm, "'and it was my leaving her that made her fretful.' "'Preston tried to thank.' Only remember henceforth, and the clear tone grew fainter than ever with internal anguish, though still steady. Remember strict obedience and truth henceforth. The want of them will have worse results by and by than even this. Now, Preston, I shall always wish you well. I ought not, I believe, to recommend you to the like place, without saying why you left me, but for any other I will give you a fair character. I will see what I can do for you and if you are ever in any distress, I hope you will let me know. Have your wages been paid? There was a sound in the affirmative, but poor Preston could not speak. Goodbye, then. And then Flora took her hand and shook it. Mind you let me hear if you want help. Keep this. Meta was a little disappointed to see sovereigns instead of a book. Flora turned to go, and put her hand out to lean on her sister as for support. She stood still to gather strength, before ascending the stairs, and a groan of intense misery was wrung from her. "'Dearest Flora, it has been too much.' "'No,' said Flora gently. "'Poor thing, I am glad for her sake. "'But might she not have a book, a Bible? "'You may give her one, if you like. "'I could not.' Flora reached her own room, went in, and bolted the door. End of Part 2 Chapter 20 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen Gilbert, Arizona